Something that I have said time and time again on this channel is that for this college football season, the 2023 season, every team, every single team, no matter how high they are in the sport or how low they are in the sport, has had their struggles throughout the season. And yesterday was no exception. I mean, Georgia only beating Vanderbilt by 17 was pretty awkward, to say the least. And Florida State having to score some late points in the second half to make their score look like a blowout win over Syracuse, when in reality that took a little bit of time to materialize. Alabama only beating Arkansas by three. And Michigan being down despite winning 52-7 to at one point in this game, and the Wolverines allowing four sacks, not even rushing for four yards per carry. I mean, this, this defensive line and linebacker core really tested Michigan in a way that I thought they could do, but I didn't exactly expect them to do. It was very interesting. Um, but... After Indiana scored on that trick play, which was a, a beautiful pass by wide receiver Donovan McCulley. Donovan McCulley used to be a quarterback for Indiana, but they switched him to wide receiver. It was a backwards lateral or a sideways lateral, whatever you want to call it. I believe I believe from Brendan Sorsby. And it was to Donovan McCulley set up as, you know, a deceitful screen pass. And then Donovan McCulley threw a bomb to Jalen Lucas for a 44-yard touchdown. I think, now, this, again, is closer to nitpicking than not. But I think watching that trick play and then watching toward the end of the game and other points throughout Indiana's matchup versus Michigan... I do think Michigan's weakness on defense is big plays in the secondary. They totally bit on that trick play, and then there were other moments where Indiana's receivers just straight up beat Michigan defensive backs one-on-one. -on -one. It was rare. It's an area that I think only draws significant concern when Michigan faces Ohio State or if they face a team like Washington in the college football playoff. I think that Ohio State, Washington, maybe Oregon with just how good Troy Franklin is, I think there are some teams that could definitely exploit that. But I still think this is an elite, near elite at worst secondary, and the front seven for Michigan is just absolutely unreal. But a 52 to 7 win over the Indiana Hoosiers, Michigan once again having one of the best performances of Week 7. There's no question about it. The Ohio State victory over Purdue was on Peacock. I saw that Ohio State, they ran the ball successfully via the box score, and even though Kyle McCord missed a lot of throws, he also threw a lot of dimes. So I have to watch detailed highlights of that game. I did get to see some of it, but really I was more so focused on games that were easier to watch. Yes, I did I do have Peacock, but I was mainly paying attention to Michigan against Indiana, Ohio State. I'm really going to be paying attention to their matchup against Penn State more than Michigan's against Michigan State because Ohio State's will teach us a lot more. 
but Ohio State and Michigan and then Penn State, I know it was over UMass, but whenever you win 63 to nothing, it's indicative that you're a great near elite elite team. So the Big Ten, the Big Three, really who now are the only teams that represent the Big Ten, the 6-1 and one Iowa doesn't count. They're still pathetic. They're doing a great job. So ESPN's FPI has Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State in the top four now. So the Big Ten is viewed with high regard, and I'm excited. But welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam. And before we go deeper into Indiana versus Michigan, and really once again just talking about Michigan's consistency and their consistent dominance, because Michigan, for the first time, put up 45 or more points for three conference games in a row. And for the first time, they had more than 50 points scored back-to-back in conference games since, I think, the 1980s. So even with the new clock rules, Michigan's offense and also the defense-forcing turnovers are giving way to just almost unforeseen offensive output and point output. Earlier in the season, I thought that some of my score predictions for Michigan victories might have been unrealistic. I had Michigan scoring 50 points in a lot of their conference games or in the 40s more often than not. And it looks like outside of their first four games in which Jim Harbaugh was suspended for three of them and Rutgers does have a good defense, albeit not an elite one, as we saw yesterday against Michigan State, but that's a video for later in the day. Michigan right now is, they're a well-oiled machine. So before we get talking about that, I just want to remind you all to hit that subscribe button, the big red subscribe button, click the notification bell so you can get notified when I post more Michigan football, Ohio State football, Penn State, Michigan State football, just any Big Ten football content. If you're a Washington, Oregon, USC, or UCLA fan, I know that I've began to cover some of your games, so you might be watching this video and thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Well, your teams are going to be in the Big Ten Conference next season, and the minute this season ends, preseason content is going to be dropping for 2024. So your teams are going to immediately, in 2024, after the 2023 season, they are going to be Big Ten teams, as much as Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Nebraska, they, all all 18 teams are going to be Big Ten teams, and I am going to try and cover all of them. So also hit that subscribe button, like this video, and comment your thoughts on not just Michigan's performance against Indiana, but what you thought about Week 7's performances. There were a lot of upsets. I mean, Pittsburgh just, Pittsburgh just curb-stomped Louisville. That was embarrassing. And Notre Dame, thank you so much to Marcus Freeman. I want to personally shout out Marcus Freeman here. Thank you to him because USC isn't reaching the playoff. They're not just frauds on defense. They're frauds on offense too. But again, that's another video. Don't want to spoil all the reaction videos that I'll be doing. But thank you for all of your support. We also hit 11,800 subscribers, and I'm confident that we can get close to or hit that 20,000 subscriber goal at the end of the season. But to get back to this video, 
and to the content at hand. Michigan, after they got punched in the mouth, and they continued, the offensive line did at least, to get punched in the mouth throughout the game. They sat up, the Giant woke up, and Michigan went on to lead in T.O.P., lead in yards, lead in first downs. They forced four Indiana turnovers. I mean, it was just nuts, honestly. I mean, that performance starting in the second quarter was very, it was very impressive. Michigan, if they played a perfectly efficient game, could have won this 70 to 7 or 70 to nothing. They just needed to be woke. They just needed to be awoken. And that's what happened. And despite a bad offensive line performance, and yes, by Michigan standards, that was a bad offensive line performance. Four sacks, J.J. McCarthy was honestly being pressured all day. And the offensive line needs to be better than that because J.J. McCarthy is, I think, a near elite, elite quarterback. And even though McCarthy and the offense have not played a balanced team or a defense that I think is a top five defense yet. Regardless, the more times you perform at this high of a level against smaller competition, at some point, even if your strength of schedule isn't you know, top 25 or even top 50, the body of work is still there and the consistency element is still valid. And that's something that Michigan's offense has done really through seven games. I mean, outside of Bowling Green, but regardless, the, the offensive line in the running back room and the rushing attack performed well against Bowling Green. And I think the wide receivers did too. JJ just had an off day against Bowling Green. But McCarthy right now, he still has the number one QBR in all of college football. It lowered yesterday, um, Friday, and after week six, it was a 93.7, I believe. Now it's a 92.6. He had an 84.4 quarterback efficiency rating against Indiana. He's my player of the game because despite being pressured numerous times, being sacked four times, he still had 27 rushing yards, and he had a long rush of 22. He sometimes put himself in, I'd say, risky positions on the ground, and I'm glad that the staff took him out shortly after, I'd think, midway through the third quarter. Late in the third quarter, Jack Tuttle was already starting. He had a 250 passer rating. That, I think, was his career high or at least season high. I don't know if against Hawaii last season in his first start if he had a higher passer rating or not. But definitely from a passing perspective, this was his most impressive game. I think McCarthy started out 1 of 3 or 0 of 3 or 0 of 2. He finished 14 of 17 for 222 yards, three touchdowns, completed 82.4% of his passes, and he had nearly 30 rushing yards, all while being sacked four times and pressured many other times. I mean, the consistency is there. I know the, the complaints in the comment section that, well, him and him and Michigan haven't, you know, played anyone. Well, Georgia, let's, let's you know, travel back in time about a year. Georgia didn't play anyone until Tennessee last season. I mean, they didn't. There was no Clemson on the schedule, unlike 2021. 2021, Georgia came right out of the gate. They played someone. They played a top 10 Arkansas team who, you know, they finished top 25, not top 10, but they still shut them out. It was very impressive. In 2021, 
They played teams. They dominated them thoroughly. I know that Georgia, you can give them benefit of the doubt because they've won in the playoff and won a national title. But this Michigan team is reminding me a lot of 2021 Georgia and 2022 Georgia in the way that they dominate. Michigan's offense this year reminds me more of 2022 Georgia, where they're you know passing more than they typically have been in the past, like how Georgia and Stetson Bennett went to more of a pass-heavier style approach in 2022 compared to 2021. Michigan's defense, I don't know if it reminds me more of Georgia's defense in 2022 or 2021. Um, I'd lean more toward 2022 just because I'm not going to call a defense generationally talented until they faced someone. In the same way that I'm going to disagree with ESPN's QBR listing J.J. McCarthy as the nation's most efficient quarterback until Michigan plays a defense that doesn't get tired in the third quarter because their offenses are that inept. But regardless, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think by far he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and it's not really close. 14 of 17 for 222 yards and three touchdowns. I know that he doesn't throw the ball a ton, which of course makes his job easier. A lot of quarterbacks can look good when you spoon-feed them throws, but he's looking elite when he's being spoon-fed throws. I mean, ESPN's QBR doesn't take, I don't think they take fatigue into account, and that's really a strange way of me saying that if he was throwing this ball 40 times and Michigan was relying on him, I don't know, and I would lean towards saying I don't think he would be this efficient. Regardless, what he's doing right now is impressive, and I think that if every quarterback was being spoon-fed throws outside of maybe one or two quarterbacks, McCarthy would be the most efficient in that category. And Michigan... They don't, you know, they don't have Ohio State's receivers. They don't have Washington's receivers. I don't even think they have Oregon's receivers or USC's or Colorado's. And yet, McCarthy is being very efficient. He's getting the ball to Roman Wilson, Colston Loveland, anyone that he can. He's spreading the ball out. Michigan yesterday, their leading receiver was Colston Loveland with 80 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown, and three receptions. Tyler Morris had four receptions for 54 yards. Donovan Edwards had two receptions for 33. Roman Wilson had three receptions for 14 yards and a touchdown. And Samaj Morgan, Carmelo English, Frederick Moore, Benjamin Hall, Blake Corum, Cornelius Johnson, and A.J. Barner had one reception each. So he's spreading the ball around, albeit Roman Wilson, Colston Loveland, those are obviously some of his favorite targets consistently throughout the season. Edwards, I'll continue to harp on this. He looks better as a receiver than a running back. I don't know what's going on with him as a running back. I think the offensive line not, again, they're not opening up these massive gaping holes like they did last year. I think yesterday was a reality check for Michigan fans, myself, and also college football fans who saw that Michigan's offensive line was just dominating the past three weeks, and maybe some of the faults we saw in their first three or four games were being fixed. I think yesterday might be a reality check that no matter what, this offensive line may not be as good as last year's offensive line. Now, that doesn't mean that if Michigan reaches the college football playoff for the third time in a row, if that were to happen, their O-line would disappoint. 
I think facing this type of adversity helps Michigan prepare for better defenses like Penn State, Ohio State, and if they reach the college football playoff, whichever defense they face there. So Michigan was tested, but they spread the ball around pretty efficiently. They rushed for over 150 yards, 163 yards on 42 carries for 3.9 yards per carry and three rushing touchdowns. The beauty of Michigan here, they're still going run heavy. They're still chewing clock, but because of, look, McCarthy, his he's more accurate, his arm strength and his touch, they're much better than last year. His elusiveness, there was only one time where really he wasn't aware of what was going on in the pocket, and that was just a beautiful play by one of Indiana's defensive ends. That was when McCarthy fumbled, he got hit, and the ball popped out on a sack. Every other time, he was aware of what was going on, but either he couldn't escape the pocket, maybe he over he overthought and was overthinking a little bit, or he was just under so much duress that he he couldn't really react in a very efficient way. Um, but he performed well, more than well. He he had a he had a great game, not his best game in terms of how he handled himself. But then again, when your offensive line gives up four sacks and several more pressures, throwing for over two hundred yards, three touchdowns, not turning it over once, he had another lazy. I I would say it was a lazy fumble. I think that occurred in the first quarter, but that was, I'd say, his worst play. He didn't have a bad play after that. Um, the offensive line just has to be better. But the point that I was trying to make is Michigan can still run two out of every three plays, and with how good the receivers are, tight end and wide receiver, and J.J. McCarthy, with how efficient he's been, when Michigan lines up, for third and long or third and medium, I, the guy who saw 2020, who saw the red zone issues of the past two seasons, and who has seen Michigan several times before not being not being able to field good quarterback play or field a competent passing offense, I now expect a third down conversion. I expect it. It's not just, oh, well, we have a good chance. It's expected. Michigan, I think, is one of the better teams in the country in third down conversion rate. Michigan has college football's third best third down conversion percentage, and they convert 55.41% of third downs that they are faced with. The only two teams that are better than them in this category are Air Force, who converts 59.32% of their third downs, and Georgia, who converts 58.97% of their third downs. And I hope that Brock Bowers is healthy, Without him, that number for Georgia is going to fall. I mean, he's an elite player. Georgia really leans on him, and they need him to be healthy. So in the same way that Ohio State's been resting players in a precautionary manner, I'd, as a little side note, say that it might not be bad for Georgia to use that same tactic depending on who their next few games are against. But Georgia or Michigan, rather, converts 55.41% of their third downs, their third nationally. According to ESPN's efficiency metrics, Michigan is the third most efficient offense, only behind Washington and LSU, who lead the country by a mile in efficiency. 
Michigan on defense is second in all of college football, only behind Penn State, who's at one. So Michigan having a top three offense and defense by efficiency metrics bodes extremely well for their future success. Again, they have a strength of schedule, according to ESPN, that's outside of the top 100. But when you play the way they've played over seven games, and you've played especially well, particularly at an elite level in your recent three, four games, all of which are in conference, I think that is impressive, and I think that should be taken notice of. So this Wolverine team, and especially on offense, is making great strides compared to last year. And J.J. McCarthy constantly and continuously has been my player of the game, but he earns it because when the offensive line fails or the rushing offense disappoints or when his team gets down like they did against Indiana or Rutgers and they have a a three and out or so while the opposing team goes up, he doesn't get phased. He's cool, calm, and collected. And that Bowling Green game is looking increasingly more like a fluke because Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Rutgers all have better defenses than Bowling Green, and all of those are teams that are better than Bowling Green. Let's see how McCarthy does against Penn State and Ohio State before I consider ranking him the best quarterback in all of college football, and even then, I probably wouldn't rank him up there, but he's a near elite, maybe elite quarterback right now, and he's playing very efficient football. Let's talk about Indiana. Um, The Hoosiers were doomed the minute they scored that touchdown, and I had some Michigan friends that were reacting extremely negatively to this game. And they were, you know, understandably complaining about the offensive line, but also saying that there's, you know, no way that Michigan is an elite team or a college football playoff team. And, And my thought process was, like I said earlier in this video, every team this season, and it was a similar way last year, has had their moments of struggle. This isn't like 2019, where Ohio State, LSU, and really it was just those two teams, and also Alabama before they played LSU, looked indestructible. And we just were waiting to see an unstoppable force meet an immovable object, and all those you know, immovable objects and unstoppable forces would destroy everyone else before facing each other. That's not what this season is. This season also isn't 2020, where it became obvious by the middle of the year that Alabama was going to be unstoppable. Or this season isn't like Georgia, where in every game except the SEC championship game, when Georgia played, they looked like the best team in all of college football. That's not what 2022 was. That's not what 2023 is either. Now I can confidently say that I think Michigan, Washington, Oregon, Ohio State, and Georgia, I think that is a good collection of national championship contenders of elite college football teams, and I think there's a drop-off after those five. But there are teams like Florida State and Penn State and Oklahoma and Texas who can move into that top five or join that conglomerate of teams. And there are teams like anyone in that top five who, depending on how they perform throughout the rest of the regular season, could drop out. 
So really this year of college football, there's so much flexibility. And I would say the national championship is wide open. Oregon and Washington are particularly interesting, but I'm going to do a reaction video to that game today. So again, subscribe and hit the notification bell if you want to join this community in that way. You will get notified when I release reaction videos and also preview videos. I'm very excited to preview Penn State and Ohio State for this coming weekend. But Indiana, they were doomed. And my Michigan friends were angry and they were upset. But the minute they scored on that trick play, Michigan marched down. They scored seven points. They scored 14 more points in the second quarter to take a 21-7 lead at the half. And they ended up winning... 52-7. to They held Indiana to 232 offensive yards after allowing close to 150 in that first quarter. Indiana only scored one touchdown. Meanwhile, they gave up four turnovers. And the Hoosiers, to their credit, do have a great front seven. They really do. Whether it's Aaron Casey, who I think is a linebacker, could start with Michigan, or Andre Carter, who is a great defensive end, Indiana was able to get pressure. And Aaron Casey had two tackles for loss, seven total tackles. He had a sack. Miles Jackson had a sack and one tackle for loss. Linnell Carr Jr. had two sacks, two tackles for loss, four total tackles. And overall, the Hoosiers had four sacks. They had six tackles for loss, one pass deflected. It it was Indiana's secondary, and also the fact that they have holes in their defense. That was their downfall. They have a a group of great players, but their roster is not stacked with great players, which means one play, Linnell Carr Jr. or Aaron Casey or Andre Carter will get pressure or they will make a good play. But then the next minute, they will give up a bomb of a touchdown. They'll give up you know, a long, a long pass of 54 yards or a 20-yard pass, or they'll give up a, you know, a 20-yard run or a 15, 20-yard scramble. Stuff like that. Their defense is going to have a certain level of inconsistency because of the lack of depth on the team and also because their offense is an atrocity. They only had 140 passing yards, averaging 4.8 yards per pass attempt, one passing touchdown, two interceptions, both thrown by Taven Jackson, and on the ground they had 92 rushing yards and 33 carries, averaging less than three yards per carry. Michigan's defense dominated Indiana's offense with four sacks, eight tackles for loss, three passes defended, and two interceptions, along with a few fumble recoveries. Um, Indiana, Brandon Sorsby, I think, was the source of both of Indiana's fumbles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he fumbled twice, but he lost one, and Taven Jackson lost another fumble. So, correction. Brennan Sorsby lost a fumble, Taven Jackson lost a fumble, and Michael Barrett and Mason Graham, respectively, recovered those fumbles. Indiana did a good job of getting to the quarterback. Their defense, I think, did one of the better jobs that they could have done. The problem is their offense is inept, and Michigan is deeper at every position. It's actually insane. Um, again, after that first quarter, Indiana leading 7 nothing. And Michigan takes a 52-7 to lead to close out that fourth quarter. And score 52 unanswered points is just really insane. And they put up all of those 
all of those 407 yards that Michigan, you know, forced on Indiana's defense, most of those, if not all of them, came in the second quarter. So Indiana just folded like a lawn chair, and that's not necessarily on the players. I don't think it's on the players. Um, It's on the coach, the guy who has been at Indiana for more than half a decade, who's played Michigan close in previous seasons, but only beat them in 2020. And without Kalen DeBoer and without Michael Penix and without Peyton Ramsey, Indiana has never had an offense under Tom Allen. They've always had a defense that can stymie you, but can never win games on their own, like what Iowa has, although that's very rare. I think Tom Allen's time is up. I think he'll be fired after this season. I mean, he played Ohio State close, played Louisville close, and then beat Akron, beat Indiana State, but he's gotten humiliated by Maryland and even more so humiliated and dominated by Michigan. So I think he's going to get fired after this season. A 2-10 and record to close out the 2023 regular season wouldn't surprise me one bit coming from Indiana. And with Michigan, you know, the offensive line had a rough outing, but the defense is among the nation's best. I still think it's the nation's best. And forcing four turnovers, putting up over 400 yards, limiting your opponent to under 250 yards, and scoring seven touchdowns. What what a showing. You know, really, what a showing. I was impressed with Michigan's strength, with how the team handled adversity. I know that may be something to chuckle at, and part of me chuckles when I say that, but for Michigan to go down like that and to have that much pressure and to still score 52 points is impressive. You know, I wouldn't be saying or saying that they handled adversity well if they only won 24-7. That would have just been Michigan, you know, crawling their way, army crawling their way to victory. Michigan didn't army crawl their way to victory. They were down. Indiana got on top of them early. And then Michigan stood up, threw Indiana off them, took Indiana by the head, and just dragged them across the concrete running at the speed of light for the remaining 40, 45 minutes of the game. I mean, that performance was very impressive. Michigan threw for over 11 yards per pass attempt for nearly 250 yards. The ground game, it was not impressive. They only averaged 3.9 yards per carry, but they still had three rushing touchdowns, two of them by Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards, he got his first rushing touchdown, and he has struggled all season long. He had more receiving yards yesterday with 33, despite only having two receptions to nine carries. But he needs it. You know, he needs to get that touchdown, and he needs to get confident, and he needs to play better because we know what he's capable of. I mean, his upside, it's one of the highest upsides of a college football running back currently playing in the sport. And it was awesome to see Blake Corum, you know, jumping up and down and celebrating and lifting his arms with the biggest smile in the world, like he was, you know, like he got a car for Christmas. That was awesome. And I think that that shows, like Joel Klatt, and like I'm going to say, this Michigan team is selfless. They are, they, they are a team. They function as a team. They are not a unit like, and I'm not saying that this team is selfish, but 
they're not like USC. USC relies totally on Caleb Williams to win football games. And the fault of that is Caleb Williams has an offensive line that is worse than the one he had last year. He does not have a Jordan Addison. And I think the defense is still just as mediocre, if not worse. And I think that's at the fault of Alex Grinch. But they went on the road and they just got plastered by Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame, I mean, what what Louisville did to Notre Dame was embarrassing for the Irish. And how about the Irish taking that and then going back home and delivering USC their first of likely many losses of this regular season? USC will probably go 9-3, nine and, nine and 8-4. and four. I do not see how they could beat Washington, how they could beat Oregon, and Utah and UCLA are losable games. I mean, that was just an embarrassing performance by Caleb Williams, throwing three interceptions, getting sacked numerous times. The offense relies on him. It runs through him. And even with great players like Marshawn Lloyd, um, Dorian Singer, Mario Williams, Taj Washington, who I think is a very, very underrated wide receiver, and also Austin Jones at running back. They don't have the offensive linemen or really the tight ends or even that X-factor elite wide receiver to where the offense can function through anyone else but Caleb Williams and put up the numbers that they do. And with Notre Dame, they have a good defense, so they just shut USC down. And I say all of that to say that Michigan's offense and defense doesn't go through one player. The run game gets limited. Oh, well, McCarthy can you know throw for 12, 13, 14 yards per attempt and Sharon Moore can scheme up wide-open wide receivers, and McCarthy can improvise. He can scramble, or he can pass. The offensive line isn't doing well. Circle back to McCarthy, but also Blake Corum for being able to power through power through stops. And sometimes when he would get stopped at the line of scrimmage, he'd fall forward for two yards. Or he would make something out of nothing, do a few extra juke moves, and gain an extra three yards or so. And when the passing attack, like looking at Bowling Green, when J.J. McCarthy is a bad day, Blake Corum breaks off his longest run so far of the season. So this team, they're selfless, they're efficient, they pick up where they left off, and they pick up after each other, and they help each other. They are not a selfish bunch of young men. And the defense, let me tell you something, the defense is littered with NFL talent. They are more balanced, I would say, even than the offense, because the offense does have questions about it still. What happens when they need to pass for 30 times a game? What happens when their O-line, Michigan's O-line, faces up against Penn State's defensive line or Ohio State's defensive line? Um, How does the run game function against Ohio State, Penn State, or in the college football playoff? And how does Michigan's offensive identity help or hinder them in their future endeavors and also goals of, you know, winning a national championship this season. For the defense, I have to nitpick. The only question about Michigan's defense is, with what we've seen in the secondary and allowing some big plays, how will that work out against Ohio State's passing game? Or Washington or Oregon's passing game, or maybe Georgia's if someone else besides Brock Bowers is able to step up. You know, the front seven right now looks impenetrable 
The front seven for Michigan is an immovable object with Mason Graham getting healthier, with Chris Jenkins being a first-round NFL draft pick for this coming draft. Kenneth Grant is a stud, an awesome player. Jalen Harrell has been impressing at defensive end. Same, same with Braden McGregor, Josiah Stewart, Derek Moore, Junior Colson, Ernest Hausman, Michael Barrett. He had a fumble recovery. This front seven, or front six, technically, because Michigan runs a 4-2-5, very impressive. And in the secondary, Rod Moore collected an interception. Keon Sab, he had an interception and a few more pass deflections. Will Johnson's playing great football. Mikey Sandra still's playing good football. And look, Johnson, Sandra still especially, but also, you know, Rod Moore, Makari Page, Keon Sab. I like all of those players. I mean, Michigan is just, they're an elite football team right now. And I think it's clear, at least in my mind, that they are college football's best team. And if not that, because there are arguments for other teams, they're certainly an elite team and a top four team in college football right now. Thank you so much for watching this reaction video. I want to give a quick shout out to my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, my All-American patrons, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my All-Conference patrons. Thank you so much for supporting this channel and also for watching the video. Make sure to check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. Potential Power once again had a pretty 50-50 performance against the spread like last week. But it was about two out of three or three out of four in terms of predicting game outcomes. So I'm still impressed with potential power. But if you want to follow the journey of my power rankings, check out my Patreon page. Have a great day, guys, and I will see you all around. Bye-bye.